week's message from Pastor Scott Huffman is titled, First Called Christians. Well, we're continuing our study, as we said. And last week, we saw the gospel. Remember, the gospel means what? Good news. That's, that's what it means, good news. It's good news. In other words, when you share Jesus with people, you're sharing good news with them. You know, I think a lot of people get turned off to Christians and Christianity or the Bible or, or whatever. And I think people in the world sometimes have misconceptions about Christianity. And a lot of that is because people have not represented Christ correctly, and so they get a misunderstanding of what Christianity is about. And so for them, it doesn't sound like good news, right? But I was just thinking about people who really need Jesus desperately in their life, and if they only knew it was good news, it was empowering news, it was news that would bless them, it would news that would change their life, I think they'd be more open. And because people need Christ, they need Jesus, amen? Praise the Lord. Well, the gospel now has gone to the Gentile world. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he said, first it would begin in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the remotest part of the world. And so the gospel was going to go out beyond the Jewish community to the whole world. And we said that if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile <laughs> in the, from a biblical point of view. The Gentile world, those that were non-Jewish, were now receiving the gospel. And remember, Peter was the instrument that brought the gospel to the Gentiles. He was confronted with change. And at first, Peter resisted. And remember that vision that he had when he fell into a trance and the sheet came down with the four corners and the, all the different types of animals were on there. Some were clean and some were unclean, meaning some they were allowed to eat as Jews and some they were not allowed to eat, like pork. And the commandment was arise, kill, and eat, right? And Peter, not so, Lord. You know, he's... he's very bold, kind of outspoken guy. And his impulse was, no, I can't do that. I'm Jewish. It's impossible. I can't eat those meats. I've been taught from a little tiny child that you can't do that. And it's in the Old Testament scripture. And, but the word was there, arise and eat. Amen. And really that word, arise and eat, is a message of grace. The gospel of grace was being proclaimed through this vision to Peter. Peter still hadn't fully embraced grace, I got to tell you. And later, Paul confronts Peter. And says, Peter, you're wrong. Because when you're with the Gentiles, you're eating and, and, and dining with them and eating these meats you're not supposed to. But then when, when the Jews, believing Jews, come around, you separate yourself. So Peter still hadn't fully in, embraced grace as Paul did. Paul really brought the message of grace through many of his epistles and his writings. Praise God. But Peter was obedient. On the third time, <laughs> he said, okay. He was submissive to God's will and purpose in his life. And I'll tell you guys, that's the key. We need to be submissive to God's purpose and will. Sometimes we don't like it. You know, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be around those people anymore. I don't want to be around so-and-so. I don't want to do this and that. We must submit to God's purpose and will, even when it's tremendously hard and difficult. And a lot of times it just doesn't make sense to us, right? And we also resist change. I don't know about you, but I do that. And even as the word Irene gave today about our perseverance, you know, we felt, and we, I've not felt, we know God led us down here to Laguna Niguel a little over two years ago. But in that move, when you make a move from one area to another, there's going to be changes. It's going to be different. And for our family, it's, there's been some difficulties in the culture of this area t as compared to Long Beach. Long Beach is more like, well, in some places it's actually inner city, but it's basically very urban, okay, and, and big city. And that we grew up that way. 
And in fact, the, the older we got, the more urbanized that area became because it's almost just basically an extension of Los Angeles. So that's how we grew up in our family. And when we got down here, it was so much different. Now we're in the suburbs, right? We never lived in the suburbs. Marilyn and I lived in Long Beach our whole life. And it was just a different way of living. Not, not bad, necessarily, just different, right? And so we were confronted with change. And we were excited about opening the church, and we've, and we've done that. We had probably thoughts that it would explode more quickly. <laughs> and it hasn't done that yet, praise God. But that's going to happen. We believe in Jesus' name. But we've had to adapt, right? And I'm saying in your life, in my life, there's th- changes come into our life. And some people fight change. They, they want to resist it. They want it the way it always was, you know. And it just won't always be that way in life. And God will bring changes into your life. But I can tell you, every change he brings into your life will be a good change. Ultimately, it'll be for your good because all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So don't fight change when God is leading you. Just receive it and embrace it. Amen. And Peter did. And so he took the word to Cornelius' house and he responded Cornelius and his household and his friends by receiving the gospel. And the Bible says they believed God. I mean, they received Christ into their life and they were baptized. So the Gentile world had received the gospel. You know, the command arise and eat really means all things are lawful. You see, in the Old Testament, not everything was lawful. And so there were things you could do and there were things you could not do. There were the do's and don'ts. I mean, if you just look at the Ten Commandments, they're right there. But the gospel of grace releases us from the law. And all things become lawful. Not all things are profitable, but all things become lawful. Meaning that we are freed from the bondage of the law to live a life under grace and blessing through the power of faith. Right? Some people think, well, that's just license. You know, you can just go and do whatever you want to do. But in reality, as you walk in this life of grace by faith, there's a supernatural power that is there to free you from those influences and those things of the flesh that would captivate you and harm you. So there's power, supernatural power, to live in the life of Christ, the law, the life that we have in Christ Jesus, according to the power of the Spirit, to be overcomers. Amen? So really, your life is about becoming an overcomer. Overcome sin. Overcome the flesh. Overcome those obstacles in life, right? Nothing's going to defeat us in Jesus' name. We're more than conquerors. And we're going to do it through the power of faith, by the working of the gospel of grace. Well, Peter followed through, and the gospel was now alive. And what was happening is this particular place where Cornelius lived was Antioch. And there, the first church, Gentile church, was established in Antioch. And so once the church had been established, there was a need for instruction, further instruction. And so there was a commission given by the church in Jerusalem, which was the hub, to send a man called Barnabas to Antioch to this Gentile church and to minister to them. Apparently, Peter preached and then he left. And so then Barnabas was going to take over. And so remember, there's callings in life. And, and it was, this was going to be the call of God for Barnabas, who actually turned out to be Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement. And he was an encourager. He was the one that when Paul had an issue with John Mark as they were out ministering, Paul said, I, I don't want him anymore because he departed from us. He left. Because at one point, John Mark said, I can't take it anymore. It's too, too much persecution, too much, it's just too heavy for me. And he left, Barnabas and Paul. Paul got really upset. And Barnabas tried to defend John Mark, and they departed. Those two separated. Even, you think, even the guys, these big, powerful men of God had issues, right? And so Paul went with Silas on another missionary journey. And, and Barnabas 
at some point went back and restored John Mark. And later you find that Barnabas says to Paul, I think John Mark would be a good person to help. And Paul says, you're right. He will be helpful for us. So Barnabas was used as, a, as an encourager to not give up on John Mark. Uh, in life, we need to be that way, where if we see somebody you know, struggling, we could kick them out, we can judge them, we can cri- be critical of them, or we can reach out to them and, and embrace them. Amen? No matter what they've done, no matter what sin they've done, no matter what failure they've had in their life, we still should reach out and be sons of encouragement. Daughters of encouragement, amen? And maybe somebody in your life has encouraged you, and you know how what a great blessing that is when people reach out. So Barnabas was a great candidate. You know, it's interesting, though. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And when I was studying this, I thought that was like a, a, a beautiful name given to Christians, right? Like an encouraging name. What it really was was a derogatory name. It was a derisive name. I didn't realize this. Now, during the 60s, some of you weren't alive during the 60s, but <laughs> some of us were. And during the 60s, there was what we called the Jesus Movement. And all these hippies were coming to Christ. The, the, the hippies were involved in drugs and, and free sex and all the things that were going on. Kids looking for answers. They were, you know, wearing beards and, and driving VW vans and, you know, holes in their Levi's. And, and, but it was basically a protest in many ways against what was going on in society. They were protesting the Vietnam War. They were kind of anti-society. But ultimately, I think... They were looking for something, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places. And then God moved in the 60s, and this Jesus movement became. It became called the Jesus movement. They even called them Jesus freaks. And I was, the Holy Spirit was moving on me during this time, and it moved on into the 70s. The hippies had kind of disappeared. But that's when I got born in 1972 on a balmy night in Palm Springs, California, at age 14. But even then, they were still calling us Jesus freaks, not as much. It was more in the 60s or Jesus people, but they did it in a derogatory way. It wasn't like a flattering way, right? There's a Jesus freak, kind of like, oh, look at those Jesus freaks. In a way, it's kind of cool because if you really think about that, they're naming us Jesus freaks or, or Jesus people, or, uh, but they're naming us after Jesus, and that's a good name to be named after, right? So they can make fun of us and say derogatory things about us, but in, in actual, they're still acknowledging that we are followers of Jesus, So the word Christians comes from the word Christos in the Greek. What it became really, it was was a, those that followed Christ. That's really what it meant. So Christians are those that follow Christ, follow Jesus. And we are Christians, right? We are believers. And so we should be blessed to be called Christians. Even if people make fun of it, we should not look at it in that way. We should look at it as we're blessed to be Christians. Now, let's look at verse 21. Let's go back to 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You know, it's interesting, the hand of the Lord, we've, (laughs) there have been people in the church, our church here, that have wondered somewhat about the hand of the Lord, and why sometimes God, there's shaking involved, and we've already studied, I went back and listened to that message, there's a whole lot of shaking going on. And remember when the whole house, place was shaken? I don't know why God is into shaking, but that's his, his choice. Let it, he wants to shake, he'll shake us, right? But it, it's interesting, the hand of the Lord is an extension of his power, right? God hides his power in his hands. He doesn't have literal hands, but it's an anthropomorphic term, meaning that the extension of his power is through his hands. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, great signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostles, right? So there's something about the hands that's very important. And Jesus would lay hands on sick people. The disciples laid hands on the sick. 
And so that's why we, when we pray, we lay hands on people. That's biblical. That's what they did then, and we still do it today. Praise God. But the hand of the Lord in the Old Testament many times was a, a term for judgment. If the hand of the Lord came, there was judgment that was going on. But in the New Testament, primarily the hand of the Lord is an extension of his blessing. So when the hand of the Lord is operating in the New Testament, it's God's blessing. Amen? So when we pray for people and God is moving through the power of our hands, he's extending his blessing to you, you know? And many times he's filling you with the Holy Spirit. Because when they were, the place was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit right? and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So we don't always know what God's doing. It's always good. Whenever God ministers to the power of his spirit, it's always good. And it always has a good outcome. A great number came to believe in this new Gentile church in Arian and Antioch. And they turned to the Lord. And remember, God's power draws people to Christ. So you can advertise and do those kind of things and market the gospel. But in actuality, it's God's power who draws us to Christ. And it was his power that drew me on that balmy night in Palm Springs. And you have your own testimony how God's power brought you to Christ. The Holy Spirit drew you to him. Amen? And he continues to do that today. However, many people fight that wooing of the Holy Spirit, right, in their life. They might hear the voice of the Lord or recognize that God is calling them, and they, they fight and they resist. We ought not to resist the Holy Spirit in our life, right? That's a, that's a big mistake to do that because God wants us to be sensitive and willing to receive the things of the Spirit. That's so important. But it does happen to some people that they resist the Holy Spirit. Even P, That's what Stephen said. Why do you resist the Spirit? You know, why are you fighting against God? Verse 22, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. So we've talked about Barnabas going out. And Barnabas, Barnabas excuse me, was a, an apostle. Okay, now, when I say apostles, you think of the 12 disciples, right? The original 12. And after Judas betrayed Christ and killed himself, he was replaced by Matthias, so there were still 12. And their names are written in the temple, the holy temple, that will come down to earth. So they remain as the, the, the foundation layers of the church. The church is built upon apostles and prophets. But there were also secondary apostles that were still had the, 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 the sign gift or the, the calling as an apostle, the office of an apostle, but they weren't the original 12. And who, who comes to your mind right off the bat? Paul. He said, I was one born out of time, born out of due season. And, and he becomes known in many ways as the 13th apostle. But Barnabas is actually called apostle as well. And there are perhaps 16 names of people that were operating in the office of an apostle. And there's one that most Bible commentaries believe is a woman. In other words, a woman could operate in that particular office. Barnabas now is an apostle being sent out. An apostle is one sent out, commissioned by God for a specific purpose, and many times is in gifted with supernatural powers. So apostle will minister in the supernatural realm, in the miraculous realm. And usually an apostle is a church planter, someone who would go out and plant other churches and get it established, put a pastor in there, and then move on. And, you know, we've seen many movements that have come, Calvary Chapel, that have planted churches all over the world. John Wimber and the Vineyard have planted churches all over the world. Many movements have come, Hillsong and their movement, the move of God in their particular area of ministry in Australia and places. So there are people that operate today as apostles. 
And, you know, the problem is people take on terms, and I think that's a mistake, you know. The beloved apostle here. You know, I mean, it's just, you know, Paul was just Paul. Peter was Peter, you know. So you may be called as an apostle or a prophet or some other office that we're going to talk about, but it, don't be tripped up with the name. Sometimes it's like, well, you don't have to call yourself that, right? If God has called you in that position, you will operate that way. When we were in Long Beach, we had men that came in as elders that we appointed as elders, and once they became an elder, they thought they were somebody now. You know, I'm an elder, you know. And it kind of ruined them. You know, they got puffed up and they didn't do the right thing. So it's almost better titles ruin people, I think, you know. You don't need a title in the church, right? God has shown you what you're going to do and be, and you just operate in that, and that's good. So Barnabas is is coming, but what is he going to do? The first thing he wants to do, he wants to go find Paul, who was first called Saul, became Paul. And remember, Paul got kind of ran out of the church in Jerusalem. He got saved on the road to Damascus. Ananias prayed for him. He received his sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He began to preach immediately. He went down to Jerusalem, and, and at first they were like, Ooh, who is this guy? I mean, we know who Paul is, or Saul, and we're afraid of him. But eventually he had to escape through a basket and be led down the wall of, of Jerusalem and escape in the night and flee. And so Paul left probably thinking, oh my gosh, I became a Christian. I'm preaching. I feel God's called me to this, and now I'm kind of a failure. You know, it's kind of like Moses when he went out in the wilderness for 40 years. And so Paul kind of disappears for a while. And you don't hear a lot, although Paul explained later that God took him into Arabia and there he got divine revelation that, would, that he would use to write the epistles under the unction of the Holy Spirit. But Barnabas remembers Paul and he goes to find him. And I find that a really interesting story. He goes to find him. That sounds like a a novel or a mystery novel or a, or a movie you could write. You know, because the idea in the Greek is that it, he wasn't that easily accessible. Barnabas really didn't know where he was. He knew kind of where he kind of would be, but not, it was, so he wasn't easy to find is what I'm saying. But yet for Barnabas, he was bent on, I'm going to go to Tarsus. I'm going to find my friend Paul who has come to Christ. I know he has an anointing in his life. I know he's called by God. And I'm going to reach out to him, find him, and bring him to Antioch. And that's exactly what he does. So Barnabas finds Paul, and the two come as commissioned apostles to minister at the church of Antioch. How how awesome that is. Let's look at verse uh, 23 again. When he came, he had seen the grace of God. He was glad. This is Barnabas. And he encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. And there's that word again of perseverance. Continuing with the Lord means I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep reading the word. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep believing God. I'm going to keep being hopeful for the future. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. But I'm going to continue in the Lord no matter what happens. Amen. God, as Irene mentioned, is pleased with that kind of heart. A heart that perseveres. A heart that continues in the things of God. So many believers fall off. They fall to the wayside. Life didn't go the way they wanted Maybe they were persecuted. Maybe something terrible happened in their life. And what did they do? They, they quit going to church. They quit seeking the Lord. How sad that is. But God wants us to continue and to persevere, no matter what winds of adversity may blow our way. Verse 24, and he was a good man, full of holy, the Holy Spirit and faith. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. We are to be continually filled with the Spirit and to walk in the power of faith. And the great people were added. Then at verse 25, he goes to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, verse 26. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. 
Now, very quickly, I want to change gears and mention that along comes this guy in verse 27 named Agabus. And Agabus, he was a prophet. It says in verse 27, these days prophets came, okay? And as just as we mentioned, the apostle is an office in the church. Actually, there are fivefold offices given, ministry gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. And you can put the pastor-teacher together because the pastor should be a teacher as well. And so these guys were prophets, not like in the Old Testament so much, but they still had the calling as a prophet. And so we see in verse 28, then one of them named Agabus stood up, showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. And so this man, somehow he did it by the spirit. In other words, I wonder if he did it in a demonstrative way. Maybe he, uh, he mimed it out, you know. He showed what was going to happen by the spirit of, of some kind of famine. A dearth, no, no water, which leads to famine. The Holy Spirit knew already that was going to come. And by the way, that famine did occur in A.D. 46. There was a famine that occurred in and around Jerusalem. So this was an accurate prophecy of foretelling. Now, this is what we want to talk about. The gift of prophecy can operate in two ways. One, it can be a, a foretelling where you're giving a word of encouragement, a word of edification or comfort for the, present, for, the, for the present moment. But it can also be an element of foretelling. And even in Irene's prophecy, she's talking about what's going on now, but also talking about what is to come. So there's two elements there. And in this particular case, it was strictly a foretelling of the future, that he was warning the disciples that there was going to be a great famine and they were going to need help. They were going to need relief because they were going to be struggling. No food, right? And so he was giving a word of prophecy to predict something that was going to happen, to help them, to be helpful. And so a prophet is a mouthpiece for God, a one that speaks the word of the Lord. In preaching, there can be prophetic preaching, which I think I have a calling for, where you're, you're preaching under the unction of the Spirit, and so the Holy Spirit is giving you enlightenment and, and words that you hadn't prepared to say right? You're being led by the Spirit to move in a certain direction because he wants to minister to somebody specifically. Isn't that awesome? See, if, if I were to memorize my sermon, which some pastors do, they totally, I can think of one, I think Joel Osteen might be an example of that, and I don't mean that in a critical way, but you could memorize your sermon. I don't think I could even do it. I don't have that kind of uh, memory, maybe in the old days, but, but then you're going to have to stay with the material, right? And, and God uses that. But when you're preaching prophetically, you have the ability to digress and let the Spirit move in a certain direction. And how wonderful that is, because so many times he wants to speak directly to somebody. And when you're speaking prophetically, if you're out in the audience or in a church and, it's, and God's speaking to you, you'll, you'll feel like he's talking directly at you, the pastor, the individual, like, wow. He's talking to me. <laughs> but it's not really he's talking to you. The Holy Spirit is talking to you. And so what a great gift that is to have the prophetic gifting working in the preaching of the gospel. Amen? And what a wonderful gift that is. Because it, not only that, but I remember once we got a word that God said that he, he, he saw me like a, a guy, like a builder. And he said, God has given you gifts to build the body of Christ, like a carpenter would build a house. And when you're preaching the word under that kind of anointing and people have ears to hear, it actually builds them in the faith. They get stronger in God. They come, become more mighty in the things of God. And aren't we supposed to grow in the grace of God, right? And we're supposed to grow in God. There are too many little baby infants walking around Christians, and we, God wants us to grow up. 
But the way you do it is through the word of God. Amen? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So Agabus was a prophet called by God, and he gave a, a tremendous word to the church. Very quickly, we'll close here. In the Bible, in the book of, of Corinthians, Paul addressed the gift of, the, of prophecy. And he said, he said, desire the spiritual gifts. Seek after spiritual gifts. Be zealous for spiritual gifts. I think there's not enough of that in the church, right? We just kind of, eh. But we really ought to seek after the spiritual and the gifts of the Spirit. And he goes on to say, you may all prophesy. It's not just for one person. All of the church may prophesy as the Holy Spirit leads, right? You, you, as the Spirit leads you, you prophesy. And you may all speak in tongues as well. And, and so the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for everyone. And the purpose of the, these gifts, except for the gift of tongues, is to build up other people. It's for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And edification means to build up spiritually. Exhortation means to awaken, encourage, and challenge. You want to write these things down. And comfort is to cheer up, revive, and to encourage hope and expectation. Don't you love that? Those are great. If you, if you want those later, I'll give them to you. But I like that. That's what this gift is doing for people in the body of Christ. It, it lifts you. It, that burden you had, it takes it away, right? I love that. To revive, to cheer up, and to encourage hope and expectation. When we lose our hope, we're in big trouble, right? And we need hope. Now abides faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So Christians need hope. And hope is expectation of future good. Like, God hasn't given up on me. He's still got a good plan for my life. Good things are still coming my way, you know? Because you know what the devil tells you? It's all over. Your world is lost. You're a loser. Why even bother getting up? Life's useless. You ever heard any of those, thought, of those words? Sure you have. It's how the devil comes, to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, I just heard a preacher today, Prince, Joseph Prince, I like what he said. He said, the devil will come to tell you that God is demanding in your life. God's not demanding. The devil is demanding in your life, trying to put heavy on you, right? Put guilt on you and condemn you and crush you and defeat you. God doesn't come in a demanding way. You know, when the, the story of the prodigal son, the son said, I'm leaving, Dad, taking everything I got, my inheritance, I'm gone. The father didn't respond in a hard, critical way. He let him go. And, and see, so God doesn't, he's not demanding in your life. He is desirous that you would do the right thing, that you would walk in the ways of him. But he's not a harsh heavenly father. Aren't you glad? Because I don't know, some of us have been raised by harsh dads. It's a bad representation of God. He doesn't act that way. Every now and then I'll hear someone say, my father was such a loving father, such as he was so sweet. He was so kind. I always think, oh, you got a great representation of our heavenly father. Because not everybody gets that kind of representation. But that's exactly how God is. But the devil is harsh. And if you feel like you're coming under condemnation in your life, you can be sure it's the devil, not the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to come to encourage you, to comfort you, to lift you up. Yes, he might want you to make a change in your life. But he's going to do it in a way that's going to be helpful, Right? And not in a harsh, demanding way. Praise God. That was just extra. I'm not going to charge you. Okay, so the gift of prophecy. What a wonderful gift it is. Be open to hearing the voice of the Lord. You don't have to get all weird and religious. You just talk it out, right? This is what I think God showed me. And like Irene said, this is she's coming through. You said the gate, right? Into, right, right through here. In Bergeson. That's where you got the word. I've gotten words from God in the weirdest places. You know, God speaks to you sometimes in the least likely place you'd think. You know, well, I'll only hear from God in church. No, you could be anywhere and hear from God. Listen to the voice of God. Amen. Amen.